is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment, and welcome to Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. So we know in the 80s, people marched to the beat of their own drum, and that certainly can be said of my two guests today, two of the world's most influential and in-demand drummers really of any decade, who are joining me today to discuss the best drummers of the 1980s. First, we have an industry titan who began playing with John Mellencamp in 1980, back when he was probably still John Cougar, maybe even Johnny Cougar still. It was a fruitful partnership that spanned 17 years, 10 albums, and this guy has worked with pretty much everyone. John Bon Jovi, Meatloaf, Bob Seger, Ringo Starr, Bruce Springsteen, Neil Diamond, Sting, Celine Dion, and many, many more. Please welcome to the show, Kenny Aronoff. What's up? I, I figured you'd be saying park your car in Harvard Square. <laughs> yes, my mother is from Boston, but I am an L.A. girl uh, through and through. And speaking of L.A., we have a man whose really whole life changed in the late 80s when he moved to L.A. And his myth habit shortly thereafter joined one of the biggest bands to emerge from the 80s, L.A. scene the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but when he's not touring stadiums with them, he is a go-to player as well for everyone from Post Malone to Halsey, Miley Cyrus, Ozzy Osbourne, the list goes on. Welcome, Chad Smith. Hello, Chad. Hello, everyone. So nice to be here. We know each other because we used to host a show together on SiriusXM, Volume West, Good. which is all about L.A., and you guys know each other because, I mean, I know there was some kind of like ceremonial torch passing or sticks yes, passing yes. chicken foot the super yes. that chad did with sammy hagar yes. and michael anthony but you've both played in in chicken foot together with joe satriani as well exactly yeah. actually chad's the one that hooked me up so you know chad had to go back to his small day job the chili peppers <laughs> i know how that feels so so chad correct me if i'm wrong so chad Chad, uh, so Chad said, well, you know who you should get? You should get, get Kenny Aronoff. He'll replace me. So Sammy calls you up and goes, Kenny, Sammy, hey, listen, I don't really need to make money. I just want to have fun, and I have a lot of fun with Chad. Chad's a lot of fun. I went, all right, all right, all right. I said, Chad and I both hit real hard. Chad's a rocker and a funky drummer. I'm a rocker, and I can play funky too. You know, Chad, Chad is way funnier than me, but I'm better looking. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so, so I said, I said, see, you're funny. Well, that, that was one funny. So <laughs> I, I said, why don't we just get together? Because it was that, seriously, Sammy's like, I, I just want to have fun. I says, I'm fun. I'm fun. I says, why don't we get together and have some fun? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to do today. We're going to get together and have some fun. So this is a fun fact that you'll be interested in to prepare for this, to talk about the best drummers of the 80s, which, of course, includes yourselves, but it's a long and illustrious list. I looked at Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest drummers of all time, and you guys are neck and neck. Kenny, you are at number 66. Yeah. Chad, you are at number 64. You are separated by Sly. You're separated by Sly Dunbar. He's at 65, but you are neck and neck. We're, but we're like Siamese twins with Sly Dunbar in between us. That's kind of like 
a Oreo reversed. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse Oreo of Drummond. Yeah. Really? Obviously, that list spanned, you know, all decades. But there were a lot of 80s people on there, which, I, you know, we'll get to and talk about. But I want to talk just a little bit about, it seems like there's a real mutual admiration love fest between when drummers get together. I've witnessed it firsthand when Chad and I have interviewed other drummers together. I, I'm witnessing it firsthand right now. Is yeah. there like a certain like kind of bond like even like almost like an underdog bond between drummers when they when they get to get together Ken, well i mean we definitely are the the guy in the back i mean there's <laughs> something you know we're not the lead singer so there's maybe there's uh and we're, we're always used to being you know the, the joke you know all the musicians and then there's the drummer so there's something about you know we're in a position of we're like, you know what we're like? We're like the catcher in baseball or the center in football. I mean, does anybody know the catcher or the center? No, but they control the game. And so there's kind of a mutual understanding from that perspective. A very important, you can't play without a drummer. I mean, but yet you're not the lead singer. So we, I think maybe we have a mutual understanding, especially emotionally, of what it's like to be that guy. Well, you say you can't play without the drummer, but even though there are some great drummers that came up in the 80s that we're going to talk about, including yourselves, the 80s was also a big time for drum machines. How do you guys feel about drum machines? Obviously, the rise of electronic music, hip hop in the 80s was big. Like when drum machines started to become a thing in the 80s, were you guys worried? I think it's great. Nothing can replace, certainly live, of watching and the power and just what Kenny alluded to, like you're the engine, you're the heart, you're you're the thing that, that's re- the most reliable thing in the band. And I didn't feel threatened that like, oh, drum machines are going to take over. But I have to say the first time I went and saw Depeche Mode play in the 80s, early, you know, mid 80s at Pine Knob Music Theater. I know Kenny's been there many times outside of Detroit. And there was no drummer on stage. And the people are going bananas. And I'm yeah. like, what are you looking at? I mean, <laughs> spin around. And then he spins around again. And it's yeah. cool. It's a good move. I love it. But after like the third or fourth time, you know, and the music is great. But I'm sure just coming maybe from a drummer standpoint, but I like to see the physicality and the seeing that. And the connection of the musicians off the drummer, I think is really important. So I never felt like threatened in that kind of way. I, I like Human League and and Blue Monday and all those great drum machine songs and, and the Lynn drum. And Ken, I know, has worked with lots and lots of drum machines. But nothing will replace that excitement, certainly, of, a, of a seeing and, and being part of a live situation with a drummer. So... Look, the Lindrum is not going to spin around like Tommy Lee. <laughs> it's not going to have the same effect. I agree with, with Chad, but talking about the Lin one, that that actually had a freakazoid moment because I'm trying to fit into the Mellencamp band because I, I the first record, I didn't have enough experience making records. They wanted to get the record done quick, so they hired two session guys, and I was devastated. I mean, I mm-hmm. just couldn't be. So two years later... We make an American Fool, and John's going through a divorce. He almost died in a motorcycle accident a week before the tour. You know, going—I mean, before the record, going 80 miles an hour on a country road, and then, and then, you know, he was about to lose his record deal. I walk in one day, and this is a 
the co-producer has this metal box. I went, wow, what's that, Don? He says, oh, yeah, the Bee Gees are using this next door. We're going to try to use it on this song that we're having trouble with, you know, that's not even going to make it on the record called Jack and Diane. It's a Lin-1 drum machine. I'm like, drum machine? Well, they fucking replace drummers. Oh, my God. I'm out of a job again. I got replaced. <laughs> I'm like, what? So... I got into, I didn't know this, but I look back, at, I kind of got into that, like, adapt or die moment. Like, holy shit, if I don't do get involved with this, I'm going to be out. So I grabbed the machine, I programmed basically what I was playing on the drums, handed it to them. But what I was thinking when I handed it back to them was, what's happening? I mean, In the Air Tonight was already in. And I'm going like, oh, my God, are the drummers getting replaced? I mean, I was kind of confused and freaking out. I'd get fired again. All of a sudden, two hours later... Mellencamp said, hey, Aronoff, we need a drum thing, like a drum solo right here after the second chorus. I'm going, on a ballad? I'm going, let's see, what would Buddy Rich do? He'd say, this song sucks. But anyway, <laughs> I'd say, like, are you kidding? And so the whole time we're getting this mammoth drum sound because the drums used to be in small vocal booths, and now it's in this big room. And John's like, I want to blow every drum. Thank God. He said, I want to blow every drum sound off the radio. I want this drum sound to be the biggest drum sound ever. So I'm like, cool. The whole time that we're getting drum sounds, I'm going like, oh, okay, I got to serve the song, serve the, I got to play what's good for this song, get it on the album, get it on the radio. It's got to come flying through those little speakers and car stereos or TV sets. I suddenly had learned I got to play simple and serve the song. When the song got done, got on the record, I was like, oh man, it's on the record. But then when they decided to release it, you know, back then they would play all the songs on an album and people would call up, hey, I like that song. I like that song. I like that song. And then they were going, wow, Jack and Diane is testing really well. Mm -hmm. So they went, all right, so Hurt So Good is up there, the first song. And then it got to about number two, but I, the Tiger, was number one. There was no way we were going to beat I, the Tiger, because Rocky had just come out. Yeah. And you know what I found out recently? Yeah. I went to the record label and said, well, why don't you just put down a million dollars and beat it out? I said, well, the Scotty brothers were behind I, the Tiger, which is like, don't mess with them. So oh. they just let that go. Yeah, exactly. Oh. They just. So my point is, they released Jack and Diana goes to number one, and so that experience was bittersweet. So the drum machine, exactly what Chad said, it was cool for a second, and then John was smart enough to realize this put some human feel into this thing, and there it is, right there. That song, if it just been the drum machine, would have been mm. boring. And then you added the human element and bam, you had the best of both worlds. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Chad, you mentioned Tommy Lee and kind of like the Hab Trail, like roller coaster, you know, kind of yeah. that. And you, Kenny, mentioned in the air tonight, Phil Collins. So before we start talking about a lot of specific drummers, I want to talk about drum production in the 80s. I've called it the Phil Collins effect. If you've heard that song you produced for Annie Frid from... ABBA, something's going on. Like, it's like, you know, like the drums were very loud in the 80s. There were yeah. drum solos, all these music videos of the metal bands like Poison stuff and Motley Crue, like drum risers and rotating drums and spinning drums in the air. Like, I feel like it was a good time in the 80s. I feel like the drums kind of came to the forefront visually and definitely audio wise as well. How do mm. you guys feel about all that? Look, the drums 
we may be a little biased, but <laughs> Lindsay, and you know a lot about music. You're very smart. Oh, thank you. And you're, you know a lot about music. In any era, the band is only as good as its drummer. Mm. There's not a great band with a okay drummer. There's just not. Yeah. It's just, that's just how it goes. And I'm not saying it because I'm a drummer. Da, da, da. I'm just saying every great band. And so I have a little list. I didn't go to rollingstone.com. <laughs> Can I just put a couple out there? Let me put a couple. Absolutely. Out there. Let's go. Let's start the list going. I'm curious. I have Phil Collins, of course. Yeah. What a, an amazing drummer. Are you curious where Rolling Stone put him? Phil Collins has got to be in the top 10. 43, my friend. 43. Of all time, though. Not okay. But go on. Phil Collins is on your list for sure. Again, Rolling Stone, whatever. <laughs> but we're talking 80s. Phil Collins, you know, that's when his solo work came in, into the forefront. And you got to remember, and Kenny was there in, in 1984, 83, 4, 5. Phil Collins was like, you know, in the air tonight, obviously everybody knows the drum fill, that backwards reverb sound that he had that that when you hear it, you go, Phil Collins. Mm. And so for a drummer to have his own signature, not only his style of play, which 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 is the way he plays is so very unique to him, but the sound that goes with it. Like the only other really there's a few guys, but like John Bonham, of course, you know it's him, his sound, his way he plays. But like Phil Collins, for sure, is, you know, you you just know it. So like in the 80s, when, when he had his thing going and that ABBA song, like that was a man. I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah exactly. So badass. Not fancy. No. Oh, technical. The sound and the groove. And that's the most, you know, that's the thing. That's how you get a gig. That's, that, you know, you just got to, it's not, it's not. A techno, what makes a drummer really great? Is it how technical he is? Or is it, does he play for the song? Is he a Ringo Starr? Is he a Buddy Rich? And, you know, that's just a matter of taste. It's what you like. So, but going to the 80s, you know, there'll be a lot of haters. Tommy Lee, you know, they don't like celebrity drummers and his whole thing. He was the first kind of like drummer I can remember as a kid thinking of as a rock star, like being as famous as the other people oh, in yeah. the band as well-known. Maybe even more well-known than other people in the band. I mean... It, it wasn't just his drumming. That's it wasn't and just his drumming. Drum. Like he's he's incredibly in the show and the thing and the flipping and like you know I mean Ringo's the first as far as like yeah you're a famous drummer in a band but like as far as we're talking eighties Tommy could be in a band probably maybe maybe the most recognizable guy in certainly like metal I guess like I would say but he was great. No offense to the other guys. Yeah, I'll pay my sixteen dollars at Joe Louis Arena. I want to see Tommy Lee. That's worth the price yeah. of admission. You, you're waiting for that. You wait. Amazing. For that. I was like, how is this happening? What the <laughs> fuck? He's not puking. He's drinking Jack. He's yelling. Yeah. Have either of you tried to ever do any kind of live drumming like that, where you're like spinning on something or hanging upside down or anything like that? I've no. never done that. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I was with the Smashing Pumpkins, and we were doing Dodger Stadium, and we were opening up for Kiss, and the drum set was on this riser that was hanging 
from metal chains and I got on that and I got seasick. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I was seasick for the whole day. Yeah. I couldn't, I just, there's no way. Yeah. So forget about this. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't. And, and that's actually, there's a drummer. I mean, even though he was painted up, he got, he made the drummer. I guess all those guys became like superheroes. Peter, Chris, you're talking yeah. about? He's a great, man, you listen to the old stuff, man. That guy swung. Yeah. He had that swing thing from the New York jazz was big. That guy was great. And he could sing. Yeah. A great singer. Yeah. I would say the best singer of any anyone in Kiss, for sure. I would. That would be my. He was great singer. Amazing. How did you feel about Eric Carr, Strummy? I thought Eric Carr was, was amazing and like a great replacement. Also a very good singer. Mm. Great drummer. I don't know about Kenny, but I was after like 77, I kind of moved on from Kiss by then. But I am curious because it seems like you guys came with lists of like 80s drummers, like I said, Mutual Admiration Society. Who do you think is the most influential of the 80s? Yourself not included. Well, I'll name one that that kind of flipped me around was Stuart Copeland. You know, yeah. it's like because he, he created a new style. It's yes. like, what? Yep. Roxanne, like, wait, where's, num where's beat one? So he <laughs> created, it's hard for a drummer to come up with a style that nobody's heard of before. Or it's new. It's hard. He did yeah. it. He yeah. did that. He did. Absolutely. Right. Again, yeah. a guy with his own, just as he said, style, yeah. sound. Yeah. Um, you know, and those songs, those songs are so great. And those, those early police songs, but like, the way he fused reggae and, and rock. Yeah. It, like what hadn't been done like like that before, for sure. So Stuart, up up there, big time. I've read that when the police came up in England and punk was happening, they like actually literally tried to be a punk band, but they were just too advanced of musicians, you know, mm. the three of them to play quote unquote punk. Like they were trying to sound crappy and scrappy and they couldn't do it. It's not in their DNA to sound like that with their jazz sensibilities and stuff. So they ended up being the police instead. Yeah. They got some shit for that too. Did they? A little bit. Yeah. Stuart told me he was like, yeah, you know, the, the real punkers were like, yeah, you guys are posers, you know. You're not, yeah, yeah. You know, you're jumping, you know, with your funny haircuts and you think you're not, <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not the clash or you're not, you know. Yeah. I, I think it worked out for them. And it's also always fascinated me that they quit at quite literally the top of their game. Their final mm -hmm. album, Synchronicity, was not that the other albums weren't hugely successful, too. But the, the last one, which is actually turning 40 this year, 1983 is when it came out. That was their biggest album. And they were like, peace out, bye. And they, they quit. I mean, with a couple of reunions, obviously, but they never did another album again. Sometimes it's good to go out on top. Some people don't know when to yeah. hang it up. And um, yeah, I think, you know, they wanted to do other thing. I think Sting wanted to do his own thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. And he was the main songwriter. But that band was was very influential. And Stuart's drumming. I mean, I would listen to his hi-hat and just go, what yeah, is what that? Is what? Is I mean, that made me really pay attention to the hi-hat. Like, it, that's such an important part of the drum set timekeeping. And he was masterful, masterful. Number 10 on Rolling Stone's list in case you've yeah. been trapped. Number 10. Okay. I so like he, that. He made a so who else is on your list? I'm curious about both of you. Like nominate your favorite 80s drummers. Who else you got? I didn't make a list. Oh. It's all up, it's all up here. Anyway. Yeah. I have speaking of, of rock. Speaking of rock. 
Alex Van Halen. Oh, come on. Yeah. He created a sound. Come on. Nobody had that sound. Nope. Nobody. That snare drum. Right? Dude. Oh, <laughs> ride on a crash like the snare and playing that music. Oh, dude. And oh. you know, that it does help. Like, you know, when, see, when someone says, ah, oh, you got to name your favorite drummer of all time. Like, can we pick a category? So if they go, okay, for rock, if I have to pick one, I'm always going to go to Bonham. Now, the reason why, uh, Bonham, I mean, he was in this band where he could do all of that. And right. he so died at, in 1980, right? Like, who knows what he could have done if well, yeah. he lived in the Well, he, he may have died on top, <laughs> like uh, just like Keith Moon did, you know. But the, and, uh, but the thing is, that's what uh, Alex had this great band where he oh, could music he, could, he had a voice he could have a he could come up with parts that were like i mean hot for teacher i mean mm. you know what i mean it's like come on i mean just well all of them all the songs yep. i, don't think, I think i think I fit probably because um of his brother and, and maybe david lee roth a little bit you know who was obviously very the, the face and the all that but i think alex in the pantheon of Great rock drummers is kind of underrated. Mm. I think so too. Where is he on the Rolling Stones list? <laughs> 51. 51. He's above well, you guys. 51, about- 50. 50. Right, exactly. 51, 50. <laughs> All right, I got another one that 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 uh just came to my mind that would people would make, probably not think, but uh I guess it's 70s, 80s, but uh, you know, Liberty DeVito from Billy Joel. There's a guy, that guy drove that band. That band was spectacular because of his energy and that going for it, kind of like the way Chad and I play. Is he even on the list there? I don't, I don't, I might not have written him down because I thought of him as more 70s, but he did play with Billy Joel in the 80s, right? So he was on the list. I can't tell you offhand where he was. What are you laughing at, Chad? What are you laughing? You had a moment with him, I can tell. I might have been there. I did. I, I did. We were, <laughs> we were. So Lib is from Long Island, like Billy Joel's band and everything. And I agree 100% with Kenny. I think he did parts and that music and that. And he had a band at the time, like Mellencamp, a band. And then yeah. he fucking fired everybody and, you know, yeah. fucked up. But I'm at NAM show. I'm doing a signing with Lib at Sabian. <clears throat> and this is probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. We're sitting there, and you know how you're in the line with other guys, and there's Mike Portnoy and some other drummers, and comes meet, you know, Joe and Bill and Ringo, and and, and at eight o'clock, and we all sign stuff, and people from the show come. It's a trade show for you, totally eighties people. So Liv is first, and I'm second. I don't know who was here, and somebody else. Anyway, kids are coming by, and they have stuff to get signed, and they're. And skipping over Liberty and coming to me, right? And 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 he's sitting there with his pen, very kind of spinal tapish, you know. He's he's you know waiting to you know he's got his little pictures, <laughs> and they're they're kind of blowing him off. And I'm going, you know who this is? This is Liberty, you know, John from Billy Joe. This guy's a legend. And they're like, uh, yeah. And after <laughs> three or four, I can feel him like. <laughs> and, and, and I say to this girl, I said, you know, you should really get this guy's, you know, you should get his signature as well. He's, you know, he's an incredible musician. And he goes, yeah, your parents were probably fucking to my music. <laughs> Amazing. 
Okay, so Chad and I hit hard, right? We hit that motherfucker snapped cymbal stand tops off. And he hit that with so, Billy Joel. He did. I know. He'd snap the cymbal, the metal. I have never in my life done that. He'd snap him in half. And I... I didn't know that was possible. I didn't either. So yeah. also, there was one of these big-ass concerts where everybody's playing everything. And they, some, they, somehow they said, hey, do you mind if Liberty plays? They're going to do a little thing right before you on your drums. I'm like, no problem. I got on the drums. It looked like Destroyed. it had... Destroyed chicken pox. That mofo is strong. I'm, I'm a tough mofo, but this guy makes me look like fucking Pee Wee Herman or something. I mean, <laughs> another underrated for sure. That's actually one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, we could all talk about, you know, the, the, the Phil Collinses and the, the Tommy Lee's and the, you know, Alex Van Halen's of the world. And, and that's great. But who are some of your underrated 80s drummers? Either they just haven't gone their due or they're more like behind the scenes people like Liberty that you'd like to talk about. For me, it's the guys that, that came up with, with cool parts that were like, Hooks, like how Ringo would come up with hooks, and and Dave Grohl is another one who yeah. come up with hooks, and 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 Kenny as well. You know, Budgie from Susie and the Banshee with his Tom style. I knew you were gonna like this. Yeah, you know, I'm happy. I perked up when you said that. Yeah, I mean, he's like very underwritten. I guess yeah, he'd probably underrated for sure. But like that, he had that tribally Tom thing that they did so well that he did so well that set them apart you know it was unique and he would he just would come up with really interesting parts that were like not necessarily technically difficult but melodic and and how it just you know you played for that for the song and it drove it and he was i go back and listen to those records and still find things that are really new and refreshing and great so yeah i think he's underrated I'm happy to hear you say with the creatures as well, which was even more like trying right. to be driven. Yeah. Right. I'm happy to hear you you mentioned I don't think Budgie made Rolling Stones list, so I just count the entire list, except for the fact that you guys are on it. That's fine. But <laughs> you guys deserve to be on it neck and neck. But uh, anyone else, Kenny, like sort of underrated session guys or anything like that? I was gonna say Jeff Picaro, like he was in the eighties. Yeah, Jeff Picaro. I mean, he drummers respect him, but a lot of people may not know how cool he was. Correct. Drummers really, respect, you know, the Bernard Purdy shuffle he did on, uh, you know, Rosanna, and you know, I mean, he was extraordinary. But you know, a lot of people go, they know Toto, but they don't know Jeff Picaro. I'm gonna go, you know, again, drummers, uh, the drummers, drummer. God rest his soul from Rush, Neil Peart. Oh, yeah, come on. Where's he on a Rolling Stone list, Lindsay? He's got to be up there. He's number four. Respectably at number four. He went, four. He's pretty high up there. I think he's the highest of an, a drummer that's mostly associated with the 80s to make Rolling Stones. He's yeah. a four. He's a four. I mean, you know, every, you know he's, everybody knows. Yeah, I mean, he is. About Neil. What, about, what about Phil Rudd? I know that, you know, back oh. in back is 1980. Yep. Come on, Phil, Phil Rudd. Come on. You, you he go made number 86 on the list. I wrote all this down. 86? I, really, I yeah. know. I know you're mad now. Phil Rudd, you go ahead and try to play like Phil Rudd. You won't. It ain't going to happen. That's like, <laughs> that's like trying to play like Charlie Watts. It ain't going to happen. You can't do it. And that's the thing. People don't, they don't necessarily understand. They go, oh, yeah, the stones and the, and the, and he's yeah. just so simple. And the, 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 yeah. But feel of it, that's, there's only one. And then, well, let's and, let's and talk. You know a what? Bit. When Rick Rubin went and did his record with ACDC in the '90s, 
he was instrumental in getting Phil Rudd back in the band because he knew mm. that is the key component. Yep. Feel of ACDC, everyone contributes to it, but without Phil Rudd, it's not going to be the same. It's just where he places the feet, as simple as it is. And you can't, it's just, it's him. I got one that people don't probably, he's not like Tommy Lee, like Steve Jordan, an incredible oh, yeah. New York session drummer, uh, producer, ended up with the Winos, you know, uh, which is uh, Keith Richards. But I mean, this guy's everywhere. The musicians know who he is, but mm-hmm. he didn't isn't, become a celebrity. Isn't he playing in the Stones now to replace yes, he is. Charlie Watt? I yes, mean, if they, if they hire you to replace, you know, Charlie... Obviously, that, that was Charlie's request when Charlie was going under a procedure before they, he didn't know he was going to die. He said, have, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, Steve replace me. And Steve was good friends with Keith Richards because of, you know, the winos. Yeah. So that was Charlie's decision. So then it just uh, when Charlie went and they just said, again, well, of like a very unique feel player. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dude, you know, and I write, I transcribe shit out because I'm always doing so many songs. I can't remember jack shit. So I write everything out. I mean, every note. And Charlie, whew, every measure's different, but it doesn't sound like it when he's playing. You know what I mean? Chad, like he'll add an extra bass drum or, or the snare drum won't even be there and it's in a different place. But it's all this kind of thing. It's just kind of rolling. And he's listening. He's listening. Hey, I've got a story about that. I was recording percussion with the Rolling Stones, Bridges of Babylon. It's four in the morning, and it's it's the Stones, and Charlie's there, and I'm playing a gourd, a gourd with a brush, because it was like it starts with acoustic guitar, jing, jing, jing. I'm going, Mick comes up to me and goes, hi, Mike. I love what you're doing, but don't get in the way of Charlie's hi-hat. Now, here's the point. The takeaway is Mick knew that the sound of the Stones is Charlie and his hi-hat. I mean, this is the lead singer defending his drummer. And I'm like, wow, I've never been in a band like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Mick is a smart man. He knows. He knows. And the thing... That I think that obviously Kenny, you know, but what Charlie Watts was when he would play the hi hat, which is over here, two symbols that are close yeah. together. Lots of rock drummers play if they're playing like this, they never stop the hi hat. Do do chop boom boom yeah. boom papa. Charlie went do do got out of the way. Yeah, do 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 got do 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 got and left that space for the yeah. snap. That's part of the groove and the sound, and that's what Mick Jagger knew. Yeah. This is a naive question for me to ask. I'm not a drummer, obviously. I'm going to be too or... technical for you 80s people. No, no, I'm curious. <laughs> like, you can't really teach this shit, right? Like, this is, you talk about feel. This can't really be taught by a drum clinic or a drum class. You just kind of have this in your blood or you don't, right? Well, I mean, it's 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 all great to learn. And, 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 there's, and uh, you know, education is, is fantastic. And certainly now with all the videos and everything's online, you can see everybody do everything. Me and Kenny were going up, it's like nothing. You maybe saw, you know, a Don Kirshner's rock concert. Or, or in the 80s, they had those VHS tapes where you could, like, take a class from, you know, someone, you know, popping your VCR, like a drummer class, right? Remember those? Yeah, you know? I have a, I have boxes of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but- I have different kind of videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were hanging around with Tommy Lee too much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, oh no! I had, I had, you know, uh, exercise ones. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, oh, J- Jane Fonda. Sweating to the oldies. 
The thigh buster, whatever it's called. What is it? Yeah. Thigh masters, yeah. Thigh master. Hey, you know what? I want to say something about just being part of the 80s, which I'm sure Ch- Chad and I were in the same ballpark with this, is that, see, back then, they sold records. So mm-hmm. I'm on three records that sold 40 million. That's, the record label's making 85 cents on the dollar. That's a lot of money. With that money, they can invest in new bands. So my point is, Mellencamp, we'd spend a whole year making a record, a whole year. And if you didn't like these songs, you throw them away and start again. We would work like the way John did it, because he, he wanted to get value out of us. We'd work from 11 in the morning to 5 at night, take a two-hour dinner break, come back at 7 to 11. And sometimes we'd play basketball and, and be guys, but, dude, it was like, it, we, it was guys and, or in some cases, women hanging out and muscling out ideas. You don't have that now. There's no budget for that unless you're in a band that has a budget like Foo Fighters. But we would sit there and muscle on. John would demand after Jack and Diane became a hit, every time he'd play a song on acoustic guitar and, they, and he admitted, my songs all sound the same. I'm going, no shit. And after he'd play it twice, he'd look at me. It was the same song. He'd go, what do you got, Aaron Off? And I'd be going, why are you always picking on me? But the reason why, he was smart enough to go like, well, what he was saying was like, I need you to make me another billion dollars. You know what I mean? He was... <laughs> he, he, he was Come up with the catchiest beat you ever fucking thought of. <laughs> exactly. My, so my same old thing. Yeah. But the point is, and he... I have to say, because of that, I was always searching for the simplest, coolest thing for his music. Whether it was like, I mean, the beat like on Crumbling Down, I never played that before. It was like, he comes in, he plays an acoustic guitar, it's like, boom, dun, 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 So first, the obvious beat would be, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba. I went, okay, nah, that's obvious, so I'll go, boom, ba, um, boom, ba, um, um, uh, uh, like, you know, Fogarty song or a Creedence song. I went, nah, that's too jacked. Then with floor time, boom, boom, ba. Eventually, I go with the kick drum and go, Kick drum stand them boom boom ba do boom boom ba do do ba do do chica and then right on the hi hat right in the hole boom ba do da da boom ga do do ga chica and do do ba so simple never played that beat before never played it since but John went oh I've never heard that let's use that and this is the type of stuff that got worked out in hanging out and muscling it out and bands being together and there were budgets for that right yeah that's kind of how the chili peppers work together you you write in the moment yeah the, it, it, to your point it's it's now it's you know a, a record companies are, are like the bank it's like if you don't they don't get their returns right away sorry the fourth quarter's coming oh you didn't sell us enough so you're you're out and we'll go on to the next thing and they're not bands are not allowed to develop like a band like rem or or, or you know, you two or, or or Chili Peppers, like your your first two or three records, you're just learning how to be a band and like how to write songs and how to and you become hopefully better at it. But if you're not given that opportunity, like Ken says, to like work and try and make mistakes mm-hmm. and fall down and get up, and if if you don't have that opportunity, then well, then those bands wouldn't wouldn't be around. It you know and and. Yeah, and in the case of the Chili Peppers, actually, even before you joined them for Mother's Milk Chat, I mean, they'd kind of, I mean, Mother's Milk was, you know, you joined at a great time. It was like the big breakthrough, but like they'd kind of steadily been 
rising throughout the 80s. Each album was a little bit bigger than the next one, a little bit more radio. Like, you know, on an alternative college level, right. not, not in a like. But they were allowed to have that kind of career path. 60,000 records, maybe 80,000 records. That's yeah. like, that kind of slow build up to what was Mother was Mother's Milk like the fourth album, the fifth album by the fourth album. Yeah, four albums in that you or like you mentioned the Cure yeah. earlier, they didn't really break until they'd been around uh, for several years. With Head on the Door was really kind of like their first really big album. Like that, that doesn't happen now. Listen, Mellon Camp, it was five records. Wow, before before American Fool, and and wow. and he, he actually was a horrible songwriter, horrible, but. There was other elements involved. He was tenacious. He was uh, unstoppable. And he was demanding. He demanded us to be innovative and creative to make his songs great. He no. demanded it. He literally yelled at us. I need parts. I need ideas. And Aronoff, if someone's got a better drum beat than what you're playing, you fucking play it. And none of you guys own the instruments. We all play each other's instruments. I'm like... That sounds like some like heavy football coach or something. I'm like, uh, back then I thought, what a jerk. But now I go back like, wow, he was smart. So we've barely even gone through this controversial Rolling Stones list and talking about all the great drummers, the top 100 drummers. I'm here with number 66 and number 64. We have so much more to discuss. Can We need to wrap, but can you come back? Can I have you come back for a part two? Hell yes. Okay, that settles it. We will continue this conversation. Everybody, hold that thought. We'll be back very soon to talk even more drums, drums, drums. And until then, a very special thanks to Chad Smith and Kenny Aronoff for joining me today and to everyone out there listening. Remember to give Totally 80s some love with a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll all catch you next time very soon. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. 